You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to Domecast. I'm Jordan Schrader, hosting this week, and with me today on the podcast is a big group. We've got Will Doran of the News and Observer, Danielle Shemtob making her first uh, appearance on Domecast. Danielle is our spring intern on the politics team. So welcome, Danielle. Hopefully you'll be on many more Domecasts. Uh, we've got Lauren Horsch from the North Carolina Insider, Colin Campbell of the NC Insider, and another special guest, Dan Kane of the NNO, uh, here to talk about uh, his latest story related to the legislature. Uh, this week, we had a number of things going on. Uh, the most recent news being the uh, Atlantic Coast Pipeline getting approval from the state, from Roy Cooper's administration, uh, to go through eight counties in North Carolina. Uh, and today is a very special day because it is the 25th anniversary of the North Carolina Insider. Uh, and to mark the occasion, you guys put out your original inaugural version of the newsletter Uh basically a fax sheet. Yeah, it used to, um, 1993 was before you could really get much in the way of emails. So uh, if you were an Insider subscriber, the Insider would show up on your fax machine every single morning. Well, I think in honor of that that big anniversary, uh, instead of headliner of the week this week, we should do what's hot, who's hot, and who they forgot. Yeah, this was a feature in the first Insider, which I guess was uh, you know politicians to watch, but in sort of a fun format. And it looked like the uh, the News and Observer had some picks, and then the Insider would do who they forgot and add to the picks from as best we can tell from uh, what this looked like in the original Insider. So everybody be thinking about who's hot and who they forgot. Uh, for our headliner segment at the end here. Um, But before we do that, uh, let's talk a little bit about what happened this week. Uh, Colin and Lauren, if you want to start us off, uh, Lauren, you wrote about uh, what the legislature is doing, which is this week, which is not a heck of a lot, right? I would say nothing. Um, No, there has been committee work uh, going on this week, um, but mostly lawmakers are just kind of in a holding pattern as we wait for the United States Supreme Court to kind of rule on the Covington case, which is the uh, racial gerrymandering case. Um, So when I spoke with uh, Representative David Lewis, a Republican from Harnack County, who's the rules chairman and kind of the he's also the redistricting chairman, um, he said, you know, this week there wasn't much going on, and they're also they told both the Republican and uh, Democratic members that they don't need to be at the legislature at all next week unless they have committee work, um, and that's basically because I do believe the plaintiffs in the Covington case have until February second um, to respond, and then Lewis said, you know, at the earliest they might get a ruling on February sixth, but I doubt we'll see anything on February sixth. So they'll come back on February seventh now. Um, and we might have votes that day. We might not. You never know with the legislature. Um, but they're really looking at a couple of things they could accomplish uh, on February seventh. Um, and he, you know, he said they might have something on that uh, the so-called class size chaos, the class size mandates that have been putting pressure on local stu- school districts. Um, there also might be something with Medicaid. He didn't go into many details with that. Um, maybe we'll see something about the work requirements. Um, and then also, well, obviously the redistricting. So he, he believes that, you know, 
if the Supreme Court rules in their favor, they'll be able to take back the maps and kind of redraw them themselves because he believes, and you know, many of the Republicans believe it's their constitutional right. They were the ones who should have fixed it. They should not have had uh, Nathan Persilli, the Stanford professor who was dubbed the special master, draw it. Um, so they really want to fix whatever problems that may or may not exist in the maps, depending on what the court rules. Um, so, it's always a little hard to remember yeah. where we are with uh, redistricting because of all the different cases. But uh, mm -hmm. in the, we actually had two uh, basically appeals to the Supreme Court this week. And in the congressional case where they're talking about partisan gerrymandering, it was actually uh, the people suing the state mm -hmm. who want the Supreme Court to step in. Uh, and then in the other case where they're talking about racial gerrymandering in the state house and Senate districts, it's the legislators who want uh, the Supreme Court to step in. And there, the legislators uh, filed something with the Supreme Court that was pretty strongly worded um, denunciation, I guess, of the lower court, sort mm -hmm. of saying they're at it again. Uh, I think, uh, Colin, you pointed out that they quoted um, uh, Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra, yeah. Deja me. vu all over again was, I think, the opening line to their request for the Supreme Court to, to jump in and uh, stop what the lower court's done on, this is a legislative uh, racial gerrymandering case. And they, and they called it the hostile takeover of, uh, of of the state redistricting process by judges. Yeah, basically so, arguing that judges really did not have the authority to say, uh, we're going to go with the, the legislative maps drawn by the redistricting special master, the third party expert that the court hired, as opposed to the legislature's maps or to express some concern about what the legislature drew and then kick it back to the legislature for some more maps there. Um, so that's one of several things that's going to leave a lot of uncertainty at the Supreme Court level. So uh, we're, we're now at the point, uh, it's interesting to note that we're, we've got an election coming up this year. We don't know what the congressional lines are going to be. We don't know what the legislative lines are going to be. And we don't know what the judicial lines are going to be. It's all still up in the air. Um, and we and don't even know whether there's going to be a judicial primary. We had a court hearing on that this week where a judge is is considering whether to reinstate the primary. Yeah, so, so that's uh, and granted, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Things the judge recognizes they need to act quickly because the elections that have a primary, the filing period is February. The filing period for uh, elections without a primary, which currently is all the judicial races, is uh, pushed back to I think June. Uh, but if they move it up, they'd have to move it up soon. Okay, so not a lot of forward movement, Lauren. Is there oh, some yeah, other I stuff on say, Jones Street? Yeah, just. Going back to kind of the judicial maps, uh, we might see some action with that as well. Um, there's been some more work going on behind the scenes uh, from Representative Justin Burr, who's kind of been the mastermind behind all this. So from what I'm hearing, you know, they've had people come in and, you know, potentially redraw some of the districts they weren't happy with. So we might see some changes coming up next week, potentially with another committee meeting that hasn't been scheduled yet. Um, but I've been hearing that ooh, that is very likely to come up as well. Um, so we will see movement there. Have they sort of shelved the idea of uh, just doing away with elections altogether and going to a process where you appoint judges, or are they still talking about down, that down there? Is that I, part of I what they might consider Monday? I think they're still talking about it. I haven't heard much about that personally, but, I mean, everything is still up in the air. They haven't quite decided what they want to do, so I, I, everything's in play until we're told it's not. Okay. Well, besides what's going on or not going on in the legislature, I guess the other big thing this week is uh, campaign reports starting to trickle in. So I'm wondering what you guys think is uh, is notable out of what you've seen so far. Um, Will, you've been looking at uh, Governor Cooper's reports, among others. What's, uh, what's of interest in there? Yeah, well, in uh, 2017, the Cooper campaign raised about $1.5 million. That's... Um, 
you know, obviously a lot less from the, I think it was nearly $25 million that he raised in 2016 for the campaign, but, you know, still shows that, you know, even as, after you're elected, you still have to keep on campaigning, keep on fundraising, and, yeah, it took in about $1.5 million. Um, and it's a lot because, I mean, I was looking back at some of the previous governors just to, I was curious whether the first-year governors were typically raising that much, and it looked like this was a lot. I mean, even by those standards, it was more than mo- most had done. So. Yeah, yeah, well, and obviously he, he raised a ton of money in 2016. I'm sure he's still just, you know, kind of riding that wave. You know, he's probably, you know, became one of the more prominent national Democratic governors out there. That's probably helping him out. Um, you look at uh, some of the places where the campaign has, you know, been paying to send people to, and, you know, there's hotel stays in New York City, Washington, D.C., Miami, Providence, Rhode Island, you know, uh, all over North Carolina, um, down in South Carolina some, too. So he's been going all over the place. Um, he's uh, He's been taking the, uh, the state-owned plane, a couple places he's paid about twenty five thousand uh, dollars in travel reimbursements to the Department of Transportation, uh, which owns a couple planes that the governor can use. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I'm not sure if that means you know that there's you know campaign staffers who have been traveling with him who pay for their seats, or if you know he's been or what. But either way, yeah, around twenty five thousand dollars for the plane, and then uh, also uh, fifteen grand to uh, UNC for tickets. To events at the school, um, obviously, uh, you know Cooper has not been shy uh, in his Tar Heel fandom. He's a he's a big fan of the Heels. Uh, he's often you know seen at games and stuff like that. And uh, talked to Morgan Jackson, who's his campaign sp- spokesman strategist, and uh, you know he said that basically whenever you know Cooper is given a ticket to a UNC game by someone who knows that he loves UNC, they uh, pay back the price of that ticket so that you know just to be above board and transparent and ethical and, you know, all sorts of things like that. Um, but, yeah, around $15,000 worth of uh, UNC tickets so far in his first year as governor. He uh, – does he do campaign events there, or is he just sort of uh, sit and watch the game? I believe there was one campaign event. He paid UNC $3,000 for uh, to rent a venue one time. Um, I'm not sure exactly what event that was, um, but uh, – but I, I think for the most part, it's just, he's just a fan. going to games. Yeah. yeah, And he's a big fan of the Hurricanes, too, as we know. So um, he spent some campaign money on that. On yeah, Hurricanes yeah. Tickets $150 to the Hurricanes, not as much as uh, UNC. But uh, I think the, the big thing is uh, no money to Duke. Um, you know, he's, he's staying faithful in his uh, allegiance to the Heels. Uh, has, I don't know if he either just hasn't even been invited to any Duke games or if he just turns down those tickets out of principle or what, uh, but no money, no money to Duke. Okay. Um, anything else out of Cooper's reports that's of interest or anything else you've seen in the uh, campaign reports so far? Well, sure. I mean, you know, you know, obviously it's, you know, fun to talk about the UNC tickets, but, you know, out of $1.5 million, 15000 is a, you know, pretty small drop in the bucket. It's mostly stuff that you'd kind of expect from an ongoing political campaign, uh, you know, paid 180-something thousand dollars to the consulting firm that is running his campaign, paid around 220, 225,000 dollars for uh, direct mail kind of stuff. So, you know, sending out mailers to people about like, hey, this is what the governor's been up to, you know, keep supporting him, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, so a lot of those, you know, kind of typical political campaign things like that, but really just a lot of money of the 1.5 million he raised, he spent over 1.1 million. So, uh, you know, definitely not um, not ever a slow time to to be running a <laughs> a campaign that here in North Carolina. Um, and we saw that uh, 
Dan Forrest raised a ton of money too, um, who has uh, you know pretty publicly been considering the idea of running for governor in 2020 uh, once his term as lieutenant governor is up. Uh, obviously, he's a Republican, would be uh, running against Cooper. And, yeah, and his is a weird one because he's got – he sent out a release this week with three different re- campaign committees related to him. One, of course, is his regular campaign, which actually had a pretty good total. I think it was into, into the six figures. But the bigger totals for Dan Forrest were out of uh, a group he runs called the Republican Council of the State Association. So it's Republican members of the Council of State, but it's chaired by Forrest. It's kind of unclear what they're going to use the money for. Um, probably a lot of it to – push Dan Forrest for governor. And then there's a super PAC that he's connected to that also uh, raised, I think, a couple of million, including one million from a, a single Durham businessman who uh, had apparently previously given to Wayne Goodwin, who's now the chair of the Democratic Party. That was in a WRAL story this week. It was interesting to see what the motivation behind that is. And of course, Dan Forrest raising uh, eyebrows for another donation that uh, I guess, Will, you and Andy Spay had written about. Yeah, Andy really uh, took the lead on that one, and he is—he's uh, not with us today. But yeah, the uh, the Word of God Word Fellowship, of Word of Faith yeah. Church out in uh, Spindale, um, has uh, Andy had previously written about them attending a fundraiser forests, and uh, he uh, had uh, given Forrest money as well uh, in his campaign. And uh, you know, they're kind of a more controversial church. Uh, some people have even called them a cult. They've been accused of beating people, of engaging in human trafficking kind of stuff. I, I don't think any of that is proven yet. It's all still allegations, of course, but uh, a, a pretty controversial church. And uh, apparently a lot of its members are uh, Dan Force supporters. Well, there's no uh, campaign finance report uh, for Pat McCrory. He has not said if he's going to run in 2020. Um, but there was some news about McCrory this week. Will, um, what's McCrory up to? Yeah, he's got a new LLC. He founded a uh, business out in Charlotte. It's called uh, 74 Leadership, a nod to him being the 74th governor of North Carolina. Um, and it's a little unclear exactly, you know, what the what the company will be doing. Um, McCrory in the past has, you know, worked as a consultant in between his uh, you know, various runs for political office, you know, back when he was mayor of Charlotte, running for governor, becoming governor. Um, he had spent some time working as a consultant in between those runs, and um, it's possible that that's what he's doing. Now, I know that in the past he had told Colin, I believe, that he had been doing some kind of similar sort of work. Yeah, right? he told me he was doing some consulting. So really, when I look at this LLC, I have to wonder, because it's based at his house, is he starting a new business venture, or is this sort of a... a LLC entity to handle the paychecks he's getting for doing some consulting work for different companies. He's declined to name who he's working for. He says he's worried that uh, anybody who hires him will face some backlash from his opponents, and so he's wanted to keep it on the DL uh, where he's working, although we do know he's working for a Charlotte radio station where he has a a daily one-hour show where he and another guy uh, talk about the news of the day, and um, so uh, if you want to hear Pat McCrory's opinion on things, he's, he's never terribly far away. Dan, I want to ask you about your story this week, uh, or was it last week now? Um, campaign donations figured prominently into that, too. Um, but basically, you've got a uh, bunch of sewage upgrades, uh, $800,000 worth, uh, out in Wallace uh, that are going to be paid for by the state budget. And um, there were some questions about sort of how that got into the state budget and what it's going to be used for and who requested it. So um, give us the background on how that came about. Well, this story really begins with somebody sending me uh, uh, Jimmy Dixon's, Representative Jimmy Dixon's column about all the great things he did as a lawmaker. 
And um, uh, within it were a couple of paragraphs, and I'll actually read them. Uh, he go, he's talking about all his accomplishments, and he says, also, when I became aware of some regional infrastructure needs, I called a meeting with key officials from Wallace and local developers. As a result, I was able to get $840,000 in a direct budget appropriation for the town of Wallace to use on improving some critical infrastructure needs. Well, um, you know, those infrastructure needs basically primarily serve, you know, one entity, and that's uh, River Landing, which is uh, an upscale golf community that was developed by, uh, you know, Wendell Murphy and his, and his brother and, um, roughly 20 years ago. Uh, and uh, for those who don't know, you know, uh, Wendell Murphy is, you know, he's one of, he was a former state lawmaker who really built a, a pretty uh, huge fortune with um, this kind of high-density hog farming, you know, where we have these hogs all kind of concentrated in these houses and, um, and so you can, you know, so he's the, the Murphy in, in Murphy Brown, which egg. you sometimes hear with, uh, hog farming. Exactly. In North Carolina. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, um, uh, I went and, you know, I called the town and asked for more specifics on this and, and had confirmed that, you know, this was, this was the, uh, uh, the, the, the deal, so to speak, and, um, talked with the representative Dixon and, uh, in which he basically said, well, look, this is for the town of Wallace. It's for the town of Wallace. They own the sewer system, and and this is a big benefit to them. And he, you know, uh, to t- to say to take one p- uh, point in his in his favor. I mean, it's true when you extend an additional sewer line out to uh, River Landing, which is part of what this money goes for. Obviously, other businesses would be able to tap into that line over time, and so there's there's potential for some, you know, additional economic development. But the bottom line is, is that this this new uh, sewer main and an upgrade to a pumping station, which was unable to handle the sewage that was coming out of River Landing, you know, by taking care of those things, he's, he's basically allowing you know River Landing to grow again um, immediately through expanding a hotel that they own on the property, and then also letting them get um, you know get the opportunity to go past a, a limit now for the amount of houses that can be built built on the site now the, those lots have been sold so technically the you know the the people who will directly benefit in that case are the folks who own those lots and then get homes built on them but it still you know gives the the river landing uh, development that much more of a mass more more people living there which also would benefit the you know the golf course and the country club and the other you know things like the HOA and everything. So, so it's all a lot of this is a big win-win for um, you know the Murphys and the and River Landing, and I guess you know secondarily some benefit to the town of Wallace. And they've been big campaign donors, uh, including to Dixon, the yes. lawmaker who sponsored yes. the long time, long time big contributors uh, to both parties. Uh, you know Jimmy Dixon, he is a uh, former um, you know, poultry farmer. He actually also raised hogs. You know, roughly 15 years ago, um, he's gotten like forty-two thousand dollars in, you know, campaign contributions and in-kind support uh, from t- since 2011. Uh, and of course, he and and the Murphys uh, or their representatives say, you know, this has that had nothing to do with you know Representative Dixon, you know, stepping up and getting some help for the town for something the town hadn't asked for. The um, It's a little unusual to have this kind of a specific provision uh, in the budget, right? Uh, or at least it was until recently. This is a little bit different than what you usually see. Well, um, you, know, you guys are talking about deja vu. <laughs> I mean, you know, 10 years ago when I covered the legislature, 
you know, we would see these earmarks. And, uh, you know, a lot of earmarks tend to be more, you know, uh, public-specific, um, you know, more public needs. Um, but, you know, uh, you would see some that didn't quite play out that way, and they looked more like they were serving a, you know, a political purpose or potential campaign purpose. And, um, you know, I used to write about those things 10 years ago. And, in fact, um, one of the things that we, we had exposed back roughly in around, I think it was 2015, was, you know, there was this, there was this slush fund. It was like $10 million that, um, you know, lawmakers, and this was back when the Democrats largely led the General Assembly, um, you know, had put in there. And it was a lot of walking around money for for folks that they wanted to come back and to get reelected and come back. And, and uh, you know, a lot of Republicans who at that point were on the outside looking in, they were the backbenchers of the legislature. You know, they had a big press conference and they held up these signs with these suckling pigs, you know, NC Portgate. I mean, they're making a big deal out of this. And, you know, and, the, and, the, and obviously the message was, you know, we would do things differently. Well, now they've been in the legislature for several years and we're, and we're seeing some of these things that we used to see back when the Democrats were entrenched, which is, you know, hey, I, you know, I've got the keys to the, the process here. And if I feel like, you know, there's somebody here, you know, ought to be helped. And even though, even though, you know, this is somebody who's given me a lot of money and, and um, you know, has a lot of clout. Um, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Well, and as a matter of fact, what w- wasn't one of the things that they uh, – uh, the, the reasons for it was basically if I don't use this money, somebody else is going to use it. Well, that was something that Rep- Representative Dixon said more than once, and, and it was interesting you know, to, to hear him say that. I mean you, that's – I guess uh, I think a lot of people would think that that's something you would not expect to hear from a Republican. You know, usually you, from the Republicans, you usually hear, you know, we need to be – you know, fiscally, uh, you know, we, we watch out for the taxpayers' money and all of that, and 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 to hear him say something like that was obviously it stuck in my in my memory. Well, the thing that really stuck out to me reading the story was you alluded to it now, but like the town didn't ask for the money. You know, the the excuse was, well, this is to help the town out. This is going to help the town's economic development. But the town said, we never asked for this. That. Because I wrote a story a few months ago about um, Richard Petty got around a quarter of a million dollars in the budget for his business in Randolph County. Uh, but in that case, the county economic development branch had been pushing for it. They made the request. They were the ones that technically got the money, and then they kind of like, gave it to his business through them. But, uh, yeah, that really surprised me that in this case the town, I, I don't know if they didn't even know that it was coming or, or if they just kind of were – uh, happy to get it or what? But. Yeah, this was all a very uh, quick turnaround deal. I mean, um, it was late May when the mayor gets a call from Representative Dixon, and Representative Dixon is making the pitch, you know, and um, and he does, you know, they do have a meeting, and they, I mean, I mean, the, you know, the the town is being offered eight hundred forty thousand dollars. There's a sewer problem out there, you know. I mean, are you going to say no? Um, yeah. I'm, you know, likely you're going to say sure. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, this was not something that they went to, you know, Representative Dixon or somebody on the Senate side and said, hey, can you please help us with this? It's Representative Dixon coming to them and saying, hey, I can, I might be able to help the, you know, fix this for you, you know, which is, that's, that's, yes, that is the, the, the interesting uh, wrinkle in all this uh, among some others. And you wouldn't have known from the budget that it was in there, right? No, uh, no, not, well, you would, from, it was in the budget bill, 
you know, which was what was it, 460 pages or something. Not a quick read. Um, yeah, not a quick read, and it was not really explained. It was just basically said 840,000 to the town of um, um, Wallace for uh, water infrastructure projects, and it listed three other towns that got had gotten far less money. We did, and we did tell readers what those projects were, and they were much more. They seemed to be much more broader, uh, or more public purpose oriented. Um, but um, uh, in this case, it wasn't in the money report. And that's usually, you know, the guide that a lot of people use to understand what's different, what's new and different in the budget. Uh, and so why wasn't it in there? Well, as it turns out, um, what the lawmakers did was instead of um, adding it uh, as additional money in the budget for this particular thing, they basically told the State Water Infrastructure Authority, look, you know, that roughly $10, 20000000 million that you have – you know, for grant awarded um, projects, you know, ones that are competitively bid where you evaluate and you figure out which one's the best one. Well, forget that. You don't get to do that with this one. With this one, you're just taking $840,000 out of that, excuse me, $830,000. That was a typo in in Jimmy's column here. $830,000, and you're committing it to the town of Wallace. So um, all the other towns and entities out there that might need sewer and water help um, that fund is now short about $830,000 that have been directed to this project without any sort of, you know, competitive um, evaluation. Yeah, and like you said, that's a lot more money usually than other places got, right? That was the, the largest yes. fund that went out? Yeah, yeah. I think the others were like 125000 for um, uh, a town in Alexander County. Uh, uh, Benson, I think, got uh, 80000 and uh, Four Oaks got like 40000 All right. Well, uh, let's take a quick break and come back with headliner of the week, or I should say who's hot and who they forgot. Uh, We'll be right back. I'm a retired school psychologist, and helping people was my thing. After my stroke, when Meals on Wheels started, I was on the other end of the stick, so to speak. My name is Julius Gaines, creative writer, poet, photographer. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. We're back with Domecast and everybody's favorite segment, Headliner of the Week. This week, instead of Headliner of the Week, we decided to do uh, Who's Hot and Who They Forgot. And if you missed it at the top of the show, uh, this is the 25th anniversary of the North Carolina Insider, our subscriber service, and uh, in the inaugural issue of the Insider, which was revived uh, today, they had an, uh, one of their items was who's hot and who they forgot, and there was this whole list of um, various players in state politics who they uh, quoted from the um, Charlotte Observer and the NNO, and then they said who they forgot, I guess, who they didn't write about. Um, so we're going to do who's hot and who they forgot. First of all, uh, we'll have everybody say who's hot, and then we'll have Colin say uh, who we left out. So, Will, why don't you start? Will Doran, uh, who's hot? Well, I'm going to go with a throwback to someone I talked about earlier uh, with Dan Forrest. Um, he, uh, you know, has been kind of flexing his fundraising muscle here in the last couple of days, uh, you know, talking about how much his own committee has raised, how much the Super PAC has raised. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's any secret that he wants to run for governor in 2020. Um, 
And I think at this point, he might have even raised more money than Roy Cooper in 2017. I'll have to go back and look at those numbers. But, um, if you know, if you add everything up, that could very well be the case. And so, uh, yeah, Dan Forrest for kind of showing that he is uh, serious about keeping on in statewide politics after he's done with his uh, term as lieutenant governor. All right. Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest in the hat for headliner of the week. Uh Danielle Shimtab, are you ready for your inaugural, or do you want to listen to everybody else's? Uh, okay, so it's your I'm first ready. headliner of the week. Uh, so uh, who's hot? Well, I think that the pro-life advocates right now are hot because they're really they're really emboldened by this new Trump administration. And this Monday was the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Um, so kind of the contrast of of this landmark ruling um, that is you know kind of a cornerstone of pro-choice advocacy and the pro-life march on Friday actually Trump addressed the last Friday Trump addressed the crowd from a live uh, video feed, which yeah, is the, the first, first first president yeah. to ever do that. Um, same day that the Department of Health and Human Services um, announced that they were going to allow medical workers to have moral objections to performing certain um, operations, which uh, kind of indicating abortion and, and sex change surgeries, things like that. So really, the the pro life movement is kind of feeling a lot of confidence, and the pro choice is sort of moving towards more state level mm-hmm. politics. Yeah, you had a good yeah. story laying out kind of where everything stands and there's been a whole bunch of changes at the federal level and and here and it's kind of striking to see them all um, down in in one place because obviously in the legislature too there's been a number of abortion bills that have passed over the years since the republicans took over so okay uh so we have uh the pro-life movement in the hat for headliner of the week or who's hot uh and uh next up lauren horsch who's hot um, so I'm going to go with Central Carolina Community College, and I'm stealing this from a story that Will wrote this week on an audit from uh, Beth Wood, uh, the state auditor. Um, and I'm choosing Central Carolina Community College as my what's hot uh, because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you have to do that. That, that um, that's hot. Uh, sorry, guys. Um, no, and I'm choosing them because this audit was about um, – community colleges giving out too many paid holidays and the the state standard is 12 um and central carolina community college gave out the most at 23 um and so they had employees there had 23 paid holidays now if you think about your own workplace you probably only get so many Esther, unless we get so few um but so they definitely exceeded those 12 days but out of the 58 community colleges in the state 32 gave out more than the 12 um, that are standard for state employees. Um, and the audit, just looking at Central uh, Central Carolina Community College, they found that they uh, paid more than $800,000 um, to employees for not working. So I thought that was very interesting, and I'm very obsessed with this audit because it's so interesting. So. All right. Central Carolina Community College um, giving 23 holidays uh, to their employees, and uh, now actually uh, uh, putting a stop to that from Will's story, um, uh, changing their policies, which now it looks like other community colleges may have to do too. Uh, so they're in the hat for who's hot. Uh, Dan Kane, uh, who's your headliner or who's hot? Uh, I think I'm going to do a person and a kind of a thing here. Okay. Uh, I'll start with the thing, and and I think that uh, this is a little hot. This is hot, and no pun intended, but um, the flu deaths. 
that are that are happening out there. This is a really bad season this time around, and um, you know people really need to do whatever, take whatever precautions they can. If they haven't got a flu shot, yes, get, get your flu shot. Um, so that's that's the first thing, and, and actually, uh, I'll be honest, that's a little bit on my mind because I wasn't feeling all that well this week. I missed a couple of days. Oh, um, we're in so a small enclosed area with you, maybe. <laughs> um, uh, as far as a person goes, I'm I'm going to go with uh, Anita Earls, who is uh, running for a Supreme Court seat. Um, she was very prominently featured at the uh, women's rally in Raleigh uh, uh, last uh, on Saturday and got a very warm reception, and there was a pretty strong turnout. And we keep hearing that, you know, this may be the year for, for uh, women in, in the election come November. And it'll be interesting to see whether, you know, the momentum that's kind of, you know, been gathering, you know, continues and, and her race will be, it's a statewide race, it'll be one where we'll see whether or not, you know, that, 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 um, that wave comes through. Okay. All right, so Anita Earls in the hat, uh, and also um, the uh, uh, rash of flu deaths that we've had, some really sad stories um, from around the state. Okay, so that's who's hot. So, Colin, it's your job to tell us uh, who they forgot. Okay, well, the obvious who they forgot here is the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, which got its approval today uh, from the state of North Carolina. That's the pipeline, uh, natural gas pipeline that runs through Virginia and North Carolina along I-95, um, opposed by a lot of environmentalists, supported by a lot of Republicans. Uh, but because this, I'm the insider, I feel like I need to go even deeper than that in the who they forgot. The thing is that you really would have only noticed if you were uh, reading deep into our uh, our daily newsletter, which I should note in the uh, form of self-preservation, available for free for non-subscribers today only in case you want to see uh, what the insider looks like and uh, aren't a subscriber to it. Uh, but this is something that was in there a couple days ago. And I think uh, if you want to subscribe, you can go to Colin's Twitter account and uh, he, you've got a link, I think. There's a link to, to get an uh, email, get an email. Um, yeah. and then, of course, there's stuff on the ncinsider.com site for uh, subscriptions if you want to uh, join the, the lovely group of people who supported us for the last 25 years. Uh, but this was something that was deep inside the Insider and something that you probably would not have thought had to have any connection to North Carolina politics, and that's Texas-style barbecue. Uh, this is an interesting story we had uh, this week. Uh, North Carolina Democrats are holding a fundraiser for their efforts to break the supermajority in the state house, uh, and they're having it in New York City, which is unusual. Normally, we've uh, major campaigns like campaigns for U.S. Senator, Governor, will sometimes have out-of-state fundraisers, but this is the first time I've noticed a legislative uh, campaign effort uh, take its uh, pleas for money to a different part of the country. So, Representative Greg Meyer, a Democrat from Orange County, uh, is going to be up in New York City along with some of the House candidates in a fundraiser for a group, a political action committee called Our Shot. Um, and because they're holding it in New York, my guess is they struggled to find a place that would serve the right kind of barbecue for I was going to say, that's a strange choice. So they're holding choice. it at a restaurant in New York City that, uh, I looked at their website, they serve only Texas-style barbecue. So you'll be uh, getting involved in North Carolina politics while eating the wrong kind of barbecue in New York City. And uh, so for that unusual connection to uh, uh, North Carolina legislator in this year's campaign, my, uh, my what they forgot is Texas-style barbecue. Oh. Sacrilege. So what is Texas-style barbecue? Do we know? Beef. Uh, it's gross or something. I try not to think <laughs> I, about I think it. it. I think it's like brisket and like a sweet barbecue sauce. But anyway, that doesn't yeah. yeah. Saves them having to pick either Western or Eastern style. Eastern style all the way, by the way. They dodge a divisive <laughs> issue. Yeah. Okay. Texas-style barbecue in New York. Uh, well, let's see. I am very tempted to pick that. Um, but, you know, I think... We're going to go with the, uh, the public service announcement and uh, the very uh, serious issue of um, flu deaths. 
and tell everybody that they need to get out and get their flu shot. It's not too late. Uh, we've seen um, some deaths around the state. Uh, so Dan Kane is the winner of this week's headliner or the, this week's Who's Hot, which sounds a little weird, uh, with the uh, choice of the uh, very sad uh, flu deaths. But, uh, Dan, you're our winner this week. Oh, I'll treasure this always. Yes, yes. So <laughs> Thank you. You got a you got a mug coming. Yeah, we still have dome mugs. We do have mugs. We have we're soon to be mugs. giving out insider we're, mugs, we're so that's something to look out for soon. They haven't arrived yet. Yeah. Wow. I think someone owes me a dome mug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, now you'll have a bargaining chip, Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> I'll trade you. Um, what the, what do the insider mugs have on them? They've got the insider logo and uh, sort of celebrating on, our anniversary. Both, I think on both the right and left sides in a bipart in an act of bipartisanship. So if you're left-handed or a Democrat, you can see the logo. Or if you're right-handed and a Republican, you can see the logo. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Clever. All right. Well, happy 25th birthday to the North Carolina Insider. And that's it for Domecast this week. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.